How would you like a 15% discount to my daily email, the stack of stuff, the show notes, discounts to the conference, all of that? All you need to do is text the word SHOW to 33777. You'll get the annual subscription with a 15% discount to my daily email. You'll get the stack of stuff, the links to the show notes, discounts to the conference, and so much more. All you have to do is text the word SHOW, S-H-O-W, to 33777. Text SHOW to 33777. Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Greetings, Americans. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here across the country. The phone number 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, delighted to have you. As always, text Eric, E-R-I-C-K. You can get the live stream, the podcast, the show notes, so much more. I have a guest. You are probably aware there has been a... um, number of governors who have gone down to Texas in a show of support for uh, what Texas has been doing, trying to secure its border. One of those happens to be the governor of Montana, Governor Gianforti, joins me. How are you? Eric, good to be with you. And we're just back from being on the border yesterday. Okay, so before we go to the border, first of all, you and I would both get get dinged if I didn't just ask you, and I know there's nothing you can say, and just, just you can confirm that, that the, the the situation with the child protective services, I, I'm I'm just suspicious that there's probably more than what's been heard and conservatives maybe need to hold their fire and, and just wanted you to be able to speak to that. Yeah, so I appreciate you raising it. And I did see the, the commentary you added. You're right. We're limited about what we can say about a case that involves a minor. Uh, but I can be really clear about what our policy is. The state of Montana does not remove minors from homes to provide gender transition services, never have, never will. And the state will not use taxpayer funds to pay for those services while a minor is in the custody of the state, period, end of sentence. That's always been our policy. That's the way we act. As you note, I am constrained about what I can say about a particular case, but I can make a much more general statement, which I just did. We wouldn't do this on our watch. I appreciate that. And, and Governor, one more thing. So I was with um, Senator Daines last weekend, and I just I need you to know it was somewhat annoying because I swear to you that man is the uh, captain of a fan club you may not know you have, and pretty sure he has your secret decoder ring because everywhere he went, he was just bragging about you. Well, Senator Daines and I, our relationship goes way back. In fact, his four kids are the same age as my four kids, and we'd go – backpacking together every summer for almost a decade before he ended up joining me in the business my wife and I started. And we worked side by side in that business for a dozen years before he had this crazy idea going into public service. And I followed him. So he's to blame. (laughs) Actually, you know, I would say, Eric, uh, being the 25th governor of the state of Montana is the greatest honor of my life. My wife and I have started five different technology businesses. We were one of the largest employers in the state of Montana. We created good livelihoods. And this is an opportunity to give back. And even though I had so much fun doing all that other stuff, this is the best job I've ever had. I love serving the people of Montana. Well, I got to tell you, it was just, it was remarkable to hear a U.S. senator, because I know a lot of them and and very few of them sing the praises of their governor the way he does for you. So, um, and I never met him. It was great. 
about Steve, he is the only chemical engineer in Congress, House or Senate. And I just think I'm an electrical engineer. We need more engineers. If for no other reason, an engineer can do math. And there isn't (laughs) a particularly large ability in that category on Capitol Hill. Well, now I'll use one of my, my, my transition tricks here. Speaking of math, the, the, the border math is is a little bit absurd to me that we have this many people crossing on a regular basis. Texas puts down uh, razor wire, it reduces the numbers, and yet people in Washington still somehow think we can't actually secure our border. You've gone down there with these other governors. That's why you're actually here. I didn't mean to ambush you with that other stuff, but want want to talk to you about this and what you saw. Yeah, this was my fourth trip to the border since I've been in public office. I was down in McCallum, been down at uh, uh, Southern Arizona, Yuma, San Diego, and now in Eagle Pass yesterday uh, in Shelby Park. And I I learn more every time I go. Um, Governor Abbott is having to do what President Biden won't do. And what was really remarkable and what I saw in the other 13 other governors that joined us yesterday is Greg Abbott's leadership in Shelby Park has taken what was an open port of entry, 3,000 illegal crossings a day. Uh, They went in, they secured it, put up razor wire, put up physical barriers. And we got a good report yesterday. In the last three days, only three people crossed the border. So in one week, they went from thousands crossing every day to less than a handful. So Joe Biden doesn't need a new piece of legislation out of the Senate or out of the House. He's got every tool he needs. He just needs to do what Governor Abbott is doing in Shelby Park, and we will have a secure border. You know, this is one of my frustrations. and I talked about this at the beginning of my show today that uh, there, there are a number of good things that I can find in this legislation, but I, I have no trust that a, a government that says the president has no power to secure the border right now would bother securing it if we gave them even broader powers. It just that that there's a disconnect there with with trust in Washington. You have Senator Murphy, for example, on television saying the president doesn't have the power to secure the border and fix amnesty. Well, on amnesty, yeah, I guess you need Congress to change some stuff. But the border, he could do that tomorrow if he wanted. Yeah, and this is the first step. I mean, there's no question that we need to reform our immigration laws. I mean, we should shift from visa lotteries to more merit-based immigration. We should expand some of the worker visas to help make sure we can fill the workforce shortages here. but. People should be crossing the border legally, not illegally. And, and you know, it was, it was really ironic yesterday. We were in Shelby Park, and I was doing a one-on-one interview with a national journalist, and they were saying, isn't this unfair? These are women and kids. And I just pointed above me and said, listen, there's a bridge right there. You know, and, and it was filled with cars, people crossing from Mexico to the U.S., but they were doing it legally. They were bringing passports. They had visas. And and so he's trying to tell me it's more humane to let a mother with a small child swim across the Rio Grande in the middle of the night than come across a bridge in the daylight and come into the country legally. I, I just think the only thing missing to secure the border is not a piece of legislation. It's a backbone in the White House to actually do what's right for this country and the people of this country. 
So let me just pivot a little bit. Um, A buddy of mine who works for the Texas Public Policy Foundation flagged this for me, the number of Texas State Patrol, not not border agents, but police officers in Texas who are talking about the number of people coming across the southern border, single men from China, people from Afghanistan, Iran, Syria. I, I just I less and less look at this issue as an immigration issue and more and more as a national security issue. It is. I was we had 120 Montana National Guard soldiers down on the southern border, and I got to visit them in the detention just this past summer. They were there for most of last year. When I was in the detention center in Yuma, there were 3,500 people in that detention center. That was two days of apprehensions. Customs and Border Patrol told me during that visit this past summer, on that day, there were 140 countries represented. And I got to walk through the detention center. These were not the day laborers from Central America I had seen on my prior visits. These people had designer jeans and fancy luggage. They had been transported to the border by the cartels. They had paid from ten to $50,000 per head to be escorted to the border so they could get the concierge service from the Customs and Border Patrol. And I don't mean to take anything away from Customs and Border Patrol. They are in a difficult situation, don't have the resources they need, and they don't have a leader who's backing them up in their core mission, mission of securing the border. So this has become a national security issue. A country without a secure border is no country at all. And Greg Abbott has shown that with a little willpower and some National Guard, you can secure the border. And it was interesting to me the story that he told yesterday. Actually, we spoke with the adjutant general of Texas, and uh, he described the scenario. They knew this Shelby Park was the crossing point. So they planned a military operation. They got their fences stockpiled, and they went in at sundown on one evening a couple of weeks ago, And by daylight the next morning, the park was secured. The razor wire was up, the chain link fence was up, and the illegal immigration stopped. And the cartels are no longer directing people to that section of the border. What we heard yesterday is now they're going to New Mexico, Arizona, and California. And if those governors had the same willpower that Governor Abbott had, we would not have a problem at the southern border. Okay, now, so you are an engineer. I went to law school to avoid math, but I do have a calculator. Uh, 140 countries, the United Nations says there are 195 countries, so we're talking people from 72% of the countries on the planet have crossed our southern border as opposed to hop a flight into into LAX or Atlanta. That's that's mind-blowing. And there, just to put it in we've had almost 10 10- million people crossed the southern border since Joe Biden's come into office. Montana, uh, we've got about a million people. That's 10 people for every citizen in the state of Montana. Put that Good in grief. Draw that picture in your mind for a second. That that's uh, it, it, it's disturbing uh, that, that it's that it's that porous and and also that you could lay down razor wire as the state of Texas and and cut the number so quickly, and, and it does make you wonder, I mean, if the President of the United States is the Commander-in-Chief of the American military, uh, the the fact that they believe that they have to have some special grant of power from Congress to secure our borders just strikes me as bizarre. And I don't want a super powerful President, but it seems like the Commander-in-Chief of the American military should already have that power. I don't know from a – I'm a limited government guy, but – national defense is pretty high on the list. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't know what would be more important than securing our border. It's it's uh, our message. The 14 governors that were there yesterday, very simple. Greg Abbott is working with his National Guard to secure the border in defense of the federal laws that are already on the books. Joe Biden, do your job. Secure the border. Now, I know that my governor, Brian Kemp, was with you, and I just I just have to ask, did, did you need an interpreter to understand his great southern accent? <laughs> no, he, he's uh, – I had the great pleasure of uh, doing an appearance with Brian here recently, and he's a patriot. He's working hard. He was standing side-by-side side with Governor Abbott yesterday. Yeah, I, I, I like that guy tremendously. So I, and, and look, I appreciate you stopping by. And thanks for going down there. I've never been. At some point, I need to get down there just to be able to see it myself. And the horror stories out of there, we're we're just dealing with a, a not. Hey, but you know what? Actually, I do have one more question for you. What about the northern border? Because we never give it any attention. I know you share this massive border with Canada. Um, is there any concern about the massive number of people that, I mean, I know in New England occasionally they find this, but how is Montana shaping up with, with the border with Canada? You know, we, we monitor it very closely. Uh, uh, it, it, it's not in a crisis situation like the southern border. Uh, our issue on the northern border actually is to keep the legal ports open. Uh, we, have, uh, we have a lot of farmers and ranchers that operate uh, uh, their farm and ranch operations on both sides of the border. And when you have ports that aren't open all the time, it's hard to get back and forth. Uh, mm-hmm. So our issues have more to do with which grain varieties we can import or export and how we get the combines back and forth across the border. See, this is why you're a great politician. I'm not. I would have said the problem with the northern border is Canadians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, thank you so much for stopping by. It's great to hear from you. And, and thanks for raising attention to this issue. Eric, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Governor Greg Gianforti of, of Montana went down to the southern border, saw it for himself. Hey, y'all, did, did you hear that? So people from 140 countries, that's 72% of the nations on earth, represented in, in, in border crossings. And when Texas put the border wire in that particular area, the crossings went from 5,000 to three. From 5,000 to three. Don't tell me we need more new laws in Washington to secure the border. Yeah, is there some good stuff in that law? Yes. But do we need it right now? Secure the border and then we can talk. Within 30 seconds, for the record, within 30 seconds of the end of my interview with the governor of Montana, I had hate mail from Canada. It's a very polite hate mail. Very polite hate mail. It's Canadian, of course, but yes. They did not find it funny that I suggested that the problem with the northern border is Canadians. (laughs) You people in Canada know where I went on my honeymoon. I honeymooned in Canada. I love you people. Eh? Okay, we got to move on. (laughs) I really, like, literally, like, in the interview, had the commercial break, turned to look at my email, and and there's hate mail from Canada. (laughs) All right. All right, we have to move on. We have other important stuff to get to. Uh, including this is disturbing. Um, a, a drag queen principal has uh, been ousted as a school principal. Uh, it turns out that the school principal had uh, prior child pornography charges. Uh, Libs of TikTok highlighted this person, elementary school principal, 
drag queen who performs for children, reads book about gender to kids while dressed in drag, previously arrested on child pornography charges. Um, uh, a um, Let's see here. A Payne County appeals court judge reversed an earlier ruling that not enough evidence existed to try the elementary school teacher on charges, and um, this person will stand trial. This was back in 2002. Now, I don't know whether the person was found guilty or not, but there were issues, and I just am a little bit, um, they're coming for our kids. They're coming for our kids. Very interestingly, um, the superintendent of the school district uh, was aware, um, or maybe not, but uh, deleted their Twitter account when Libs of TikTok, the account, raised the issue. I, I, um, I assume, I, I assume the person was found not guilty, but still, y'all, I'm the level of indoctrination from the progressive left on these issues. And when we come back though, I actually wanna talk a little more about this particular transgender issue. Is the tide turning? Even the New York Times is starting to raise questions and be a little skeptical of the trans trends in the country. Need to get into that. Right now, would you wanna bank with people who hate your values and hate you? Uh, John Rich, y'all know John Rich, uh, singer, Ben Carson, Larry Elder, and some bank experts got together because they were noticing the banking trends and the debanking trends in the country. One of the reasons they came up with Old Glory Bank. And unlike some groups that tried to go out and just start from scratch something new, they actually invested in a bank in, in Oklahoma. They have expanded it. They have rebranded it. It's now my bank, Old Glory Bank. Uh, I don't own stock in it. I just want you to know I just have my bank account with them. I got a savings and a checking account with Old Glory Bank, and it is a real bank. And what's cool is I can take cash and go to uh, my uh, local retailer. There are 85,000 locations around the country, and they have a program with Old Glory Bank where you can deposit your cash there, and they'll put it into your bank account, and it works like a charm. You can do home loans, VA, conventional, FHA loans. They've got budgeting features on their site. Great online bill pay system, too, by the way, and no monthly fees on checking or savings. All you do is go to oldglorybank.com. You can open an account in less than eight minutes. Oldglorybank.com. Terms and conditions apply. Member FDIC equal housing lender. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, Just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425 if you want to be on the program. Um, The New York Times, interestingly enough, Uh, ran a story on Friday 
It's an opinion piece of the New York Times from Pamela Paul, and the headline is, as kids, they thought they were trans, they no longer do. Pamela Paul is an opinion columnist of the New York Times, who says, and she has, to her credit, been raising issues about transgenderism for a while, uh, but she's not alone. They've done a number of stories at the New York Times in the last couple of years. Uh, They also had another one, the complexities of transgender care for kids. Uh, They paused puberty, but is there a cost in the battle over gender therapy? Let me just read for you the intro here from this piece. Grace Powell was 12 or 13 when she discovered she could be a boy. Growing up in a relatively conservative community in Grand Rapids, Michigan, Powell, like many teenagers, didn't feel comfortable in her own skin. She was unpopular and frequently bullied. Puberty made everything worse. She suffered from depression and was in and out of therapy. I felt so detached from my body and the way it was developing felt hostile to me, Powell told me. It was classic gender dysphoria, a feeling of discomfort with your sex. Reading about transgender people online, Powell believed that the reason she didn't feel comfortable in her body was that she was in the wrong body. Transitioning seemed like the obvious solution. The narrative she had heard and absorbed was that if you don't transition, you'll kill yourself. At 17, desperate to begin hormone therapy, Powell broke the news to her parents. They sent her to a gender specialist to make sure she was serious. In the fall of her senior year of high school, she started cross-sex hormones. She had a double mastectomy the summer before college, then went off as a transgender man named Grayson to Sarah Lawrence College, where she was paired with a male roommate on the men's floor. At 5'3", she felt she came across as a very effeminate gay man. At no point during her medical or transition, surgical transition, Powell says, did anyone ask her about the reasons behind her gender transphoria or her depression. At no point was she asked about her sexual orientation. And at no point was she asked about any previous trauma. And so neither the therapist nor the doctors ever learned she'd been sexually abused as a child. I wish there had been more open conversations, Powell, now 23 and detransition, told me. But I was told there is one cure and one thing to do if this is your problem and this will help you. Progressives often portray the heated debate over childhood transgender care as a clash between those who are trying to help growing numbers of children express what they believe their genders to be and conservative politicians who won't let kids be themselves. But right-wing demagogues are not the only ones who've inflamed this debate. Transgender activists have pushed their own ideological extremism, especially by pressing for a treatment orthodoxy that has faced increased scrutiny in recent years. Under that model of care, clinicians are expected to affirm a young person's assertion of gender identity and even provide medical treatment before or even without exploring other possible sources of distress. Many who think there need to be a more cautious approach, including well-meaning liberal parents, doctors, and people who have undergone gender transition and subsequently regretted that procedure, have been attacked as anti-trans and intimidated into silencing their concerns. And on it goes. The point is that there's a, a growing group of people who, through their personal experiences, are recognizing maybe there's a go-slow approach. One of the things that rose and is beginning to fade, thankfully, is the idea that this is a natural thing for some people, that there's some sort of evolutionary product or some such. It's a mental health issue. 
It's a mental health issue. I know a family who they, they don't particularly like when I talk about this issue. Their child is trans, uh, but they will concede it was a mental health issue. It wasn't a, a physicality issue. It wasn't a physical issue or a developmental issue. It was a mental issue. Their kid transitioned. They loved their kid. They've supported the transition. They've done everything possible. That they, I, I think they would probably say they're supportive of the trans community, but they also are willing uh, to say that, of course, it was a mental issue. And the solution to resolve the mental issue is for their child, in their mind, to conform their body to the way their brain thought, as opposed to changing their mind to recognize their body. Whether you or I agree or disagree with that, you can understand the issue of parents with a child struggling with mental health and they just want their child to be fine. And in fact, as far as I know, they they think their, their child would say, so their child's now in their 20s, that it was the right decision for them. And again, regardless of your or my opinion on that, they facing a kid with with suicidal tendencies and struggling mentally, they did what they thought was right and believe that by doing so, they have saved their kid from committing suicide. I can be sympathetic and empathetic, whether I agree or not, recognizing the situation, the, the links. Those of you who aren't parents, most of you listening, I think probably are, but those of you who aren't, the links that one will go to to protect their child knows very few boundaries, if any at all the things you will do for your child. But at the same time, even this family acknowledges how rapidly things have progressed. Two years ago, not three, not five, not ten, two years ago, it was a commonly held belief in the trans community that gender and sex are different things. Now, they're merged back together all of a sudden. And when your sex and your gender don't align, the goal is to bring them into alignment so that they can be the same thing. It's an ideology based on mental health that a lot of people struggle with. And, and, and part of the struggle is the, the demagogues on the left on this issue and also when you look at the patterns, look at the patterns of this. Transgenderism is not something you find outside of Western culture by and large. Yeah, there are exceptions, but generally it's, this is something in Western culture. And the, the level of religious dogmatic apologetics that go into it suggests there's obviously something more going on. This isn't science. In fact, uh, some of the people who have struggled very hard to rationalize it all and make it science instead of pseudoscience uh, look at two other species and say, well, the clownfish can in some ways change its, its gender or its sexual presentment, except we're not clownfish. We're homo sapiens. We're mammals. We're hominids. We're, we're homo sapiens. There's no... In the kingdom and, and uh, in in the the class and family for for mammals and hominids and in the like, there is no species that can change its sex. 
which is why for a long time the, the trans community was, was clever to keep sex and gender separate, even though gender was actually a synonym for sex when people didn't want to say sex in the 50s and 60s because this, this, the, the Victorian era of America in the 50s and 60s, uh, we're not going to say sex, well, so we'll use the word gender. And then suddenly the trans community said, well, gender and sex are separate as opposed to synonyms. But now you got the New York Times starting to raise red flags about this issue. And, and, and uh, the New York Times is under assault from trans activists for daring to raise these issues. And again, in some cases, even the, their, their situation is in some cases, it may actually resolve the mental issue. But in a lot of cases, a lot of kids feel like they're bullied into it. They're, they're badgered into it. And only conservatives want to listen. It's back to the New York Times article. Parents told me. It was a struggle to balance the desire to compassionately support a child with gender dysphoria while seeking the best psychological and medical care. Many believed their kids were gay or dealing with an array of complicated issues, but all said they felt compelled by gender clinicians, doctors, schools, and social pressure to accede to their child's declared gender identity even if they had serious doubts. They feared it would tear apart their family if they didn't unquestionably support social transition and medical treatment, all asked to speak anonymously. So desperate were they to maintain or repair any relationship with their children, some of whom were currently estranged. Several of those who questioned their child's self-diagnosis told me it ruined their relationship. A few parents said simply, I feel like I've lost my daughter. One mother described a meeting with 12 other parents and a support group for relatives of trans-identified youth where all the participants described their children as autistic or otherwise neurodivergent. To all questions, the woman running the meeting replied, just let them transition. The mother left in shock. How would hormones help a child with obsessive compulsive disorder or depression? Some parents found refuge in anonymous online support groups there. People shared tips on finding caregivers who will explore the causes of their child's distress or tend to their overall emotional and developmental health and well-being without automatically acceding to the child's self-diagnosis, many of whom get it from online, from TikTok. You can't overstate the rise of transgenderism with the rise of TikTok and YouTube and the like. But people are beginning to question it. Thankfully, people are beginning to question it. Y'all, it's just obviously a problem that a kid goes online, is looking for answers. It's like when you go online and you Google, I've got this 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 pain in my neck. You go online, you Google, and oh my God, I'm going to die. It's cancer. I mean, that's what it is. Never Google your symptoms online. You Google any symptom online. I got the sniffles say, well, turns out you've got like late stage fatal COVID. You're going to die. I, I've got this, I got this little growth on my, on what, what is this little red dot that's come up on my finger up? Oh, turns out you've got melanoma past time for treatment. You got three days to live. Oh my gosh, my, 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 my poop is like blue today. What happened? Well, turns out you've got like cobalt poisoning. You're going to die tomorrow as opposed to you binge date blueberries last night. Nope, nope, nope. Never Google your symptoms because the number one result is you're going to die. And yet kids are going on TikTok and YouTube and I feel this way. What is up? You're trans. Need to go have surgery. That's what's happening with the kids. Same thing that happens to the parents who Google their symptoms. And yet what's the problem here is that the practitioners, they make so much money off of this stuff, they have no incentive to slow down. They have no incentive to say, wait a second, maybe there's something else. They have no incentive except to buy into it. And I can tell you, I can predict right now what's going to happen. Within the next 10 years, it's all going to go away. It's going to fade. 
the, the, the moral panic, the social contagion is going to burn itself out. And most, not many, but most of the people who are all in on transgenderism as real are going to pretend they never were. They're never going to account for what they did. They're never going to say sorry. They're going to pretend it never was. They will have moved on to the next insane thing and will refuse to be held accountable based on the last insane thing. It's absolutely predictable that that's going to happen. It's a wildfire burning, the social contagion. Eventually it burns itself out. How many kids will be mutilated? How many kids will have committed suicide? How many kids will will suffer even worse mental side effects and physical side effects from it all? Too many to count. There will never be a sorry. There will never be a recounting. There will never be an accounting. There will never be anything other than it will burn itself out and all the people who fell for it will move on to the next thing, uh, pretending that they never, ever fell for it this time. But in the meantime, there will be a whole lot of kids who are left worse off. It's just remarkable that the New York Times, of all progressive entities, is raising the red flag about it now. That's actually a good sign. A good sign for you is the little microphone at the top of the website at stamps.com because if you go click it and put in my name, you can get started with stamps.com and save yourself some great, great money. You can get up to 89% off shipping rates at the post office and UPS. You go beyond that, though. You can get supplies from stamps.com. In fact, you know what? I'm going to go do this because I have my stamps.com uh, account. I've had one for like 20 some odd years with stamps.com because uh, I can ship packages with them. I can get packages sent from them. Uh, they can arrange pickup for UPS, the post office at my office. So I never have to go stand in line. If you go to stamps.com, click the microphone, put in my name, Eric, E-R-I-C-K. You get a limited time offer with free digital scale. You get some free postage. You don't have a contract to sign. You do not have a contract to sign. You do not have a long-term commitment. You can cancel at any time at stamps.com. It just works so great. You can get your supplies from them, labels, whatever you need. All you need is a phone or a computer and a printer, and you can get started. Stamps.com. You click the microphone up at the top right of the site. You put in my name, Eric, you click the submit button, and away you go. You get set up with a fantastic deal from Stamps.com. Wonderful people, wonderful people at Stamps.com save you a lot of money. Stamps.com, click the microphone, put in Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Welcome, Eric Erickson here across the nation. Glad to have you with me. The phone number, 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, I spared you people. I was going to do an entire monologue on the Apple Vision Pro and decided less is more. So I bought one. It's the new headset from Apple. Uh, It is a very, very cool device. And I'm thinking I may send it back. I'm not sure yet. And if you know me, I like, I hardly ever send anything back. It's just such a hassle to actually go send stuff back. And I don't think I can have them come pick this one up. I'd have to go somewhere. I, I, I don't know, but. Like, it's really, really cool. It is a very cool device, but it's also deeply isolating. Like, I can't share it with my family. We can sit in front of the TV and watch a movie together. If I watch it on the Apple TV or Apple uh, Vision Pro, it's a very cool experience, a massive, massive display, and yet I can't share it with anybody. It's just me. I can play a game, but I can't play that game with my family. 
I can do very cool stuff, but not with my family. I, I can see, I can tell you all the way this is going to be. The, 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 the use case for it is going to be movies. I'm afraid for, for some people it's going to be like porn and stuff. Um, you can see where this sort of thing heads uh, with the, the um, massive screens and virtual reality. And I just, there, there's no, like Apple is big into fitness stuff. There's no fitness apps. They don't even want you walking around with this thing on your headset. Set, people are doing it. I just, it is, it is isolating. And I don't know in a world where people are as isolated as they are, that it is a wise thing to encourage further isolation by putting this headset on your face where purportedly, well, they can see your eyes, except not really. And it's not really the same thing. You have no shared experiences to have a shared experience. You got to find somebody else with one of these things and have them put it on. And I don't know that that's healthy and wise. I think that um, Meta, Facebook, got it wrong when they decided to embrace the metaverse. They embraced it so much, they changed the name of the company to Meta. I don't think that was wise on their part to do. I, I don't think getting us more absorbed by our devices is a good thing. And Apple, for so long, was very good about bringing us devices that we could use in the outside world. And this one just takes us into a different world. I don't know if that's healthy. It, it is a cool device. It is really neat. So one of the, the virtual reality worlds is actually the moon. And if you look around, you're, you're literally like standing on the moon. And there are rocks and you find yourself dodging the rocks and you look up and you see in, in one direction the sun and behind you, you can see the, uh, the crescent earth. It's, it's remarkable. And, and the visual clarity that I've got an uh, Oculus and the, the visual clarity on this one is so much better. It, it, if things look real. But it's not real, and it takes you out of reality, and it puts a screen between you and other people. And I'm increasingly convinced that that sort of technology is deeply unhealthy for our isolated society, and we need less, not more. And I just can't imagine myself using it on a regular basis or on an airplane or something. Um, it's, it's great when I'm alone, but it really makes you alone when you're with people, and that's part of the problem with this device.